The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Let us say immediately that we do not need to defend God, as some have sought to do, by watering down the precious truth which we set forth. Little man, very little he is, attempts to shield God from the attacks of those who, unwilling to accept their place as creatures made in the image of God, have turned to make God in their own image. Such have a little God and will always be in trouble with Him. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled Eternal Identification. Many American couples have adopted children from other countries, but international adoptions can be held up by bureaucratic red tape. A child may not be sure if he will be a part of his new family until the paperwork clears and he arrives in the United States. But the adoption of believers into the family of God never hits any barriers because we have been chosen before the foundation of the world. Are you secure in your eternal union with Christ? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, Eternal Identification. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for thy truth, living and life-giving, and pray that it may do its effective work in listening hearts in this hour. Bless thy truth to us then in grace, for we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his sake, amen. My text continues with the statement in Romans 6.3, we were baptized into Jesus Christ. We have seen that the Bible teaches there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and that that one baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that every believer in the Savior has been eternally joined to the Lord Jesus Christ in that work. We are in Christ, identified in Him in every phase of His eternal work. We now propose to show that we were placed in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, and that this work began in our behalf before the foundation of the world. The word chronology properly has to do with time, and for our purpose it's necessary to extend it to include the two eternities, past and future, for we wish to speak of a sequence of events in connection with the work of the Holy Spirit in our behalf. 
events that began before there was time or before there were any created beings and that will continue after time has ceased and eternity future has begun to run its course. We are to study the teaching of the word of God on the chronology of the work of the Holy Spirit which began before the foundation of the world and which will never cease while our God has his being. The whole point of our study lies in establishing the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit identifies every born-again believer with the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of his eternal life and work. First, the scripture tells us that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. Since we have already seen that we enter Christ by the work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we must see that the very first work performed by the Holy Spirit in our behalf was our eternal election to be members of his body. In his eternal decrees, our God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit determined that he should not be solitary forever and decided that out of the multitude of creatures that would be born as sons of Adam, a vast host should one day become sons of God and should be made partakers of the divine nature and should be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. This company, which would become the fullness of him that filleth all in all, would become sons by the new birth, but members of the body by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are not concerned with the problem of election from man's viewpoint. If we look at it from the high tower of divine revelation, the problem ceases to be a problem. We have discovered that most problems fade away when we leave ourselves out of them and look upon them in the simplicity of the word of God. It is somewhat like the little object lesson which we sometimes use with children in teaching the lesson of Caleb and Joshua at Kadesh Barnea. If you draw a large capital letter G on the blackboard, you can write after it the three elements in the conflicting report of the 12 spies as they came back from the promised land. There was God, there were giants, and there were the men who were as grasshoppers. Now our area of vision is so limited that we can focus only two of these at a time. The ten spies looked at themselves and the giants, and they could see nothing but themselves as grasshoppers in comparison. The two spies forgot themselves and looked at God and the giants, and the latter suffered a total eclipse by the one who is light and in whom dwelleth no darkness at all. Now, if we look at our problems and tasks and doctrines in the light of human reason, we'll go hopping all over the place, never settled, never sure. If we forget ourselves and our puny thoughts, which God has called vanity, our problems fade before the clear light of divine revelation, and we see God. Try this the next time someone puts before you the giant of eternal punishment or the giant of election and predestination or the giant of the oneness of the Trinity. You will come out apprehending that which you may not be able to comprehend, and you will be anchored in a fixed place. We state, therefore, with confidence in the word of God that the baptism of the Holy Spirit first took place 
when we were chosen, elected in Christ before the foundation of the world. We must stop a moment on this first point, for if it be not well established, then certainly all the rest of our thesis will fall as worthless. It is true that there are those who hate the doctrine of election, but we must not be astonished at this, since the Lord Jesus categorically warned his disciples that the enmity of the world would be turned against the church because of this phase of Christian truth. This is the one thing that will call forth the hatred of men. This is the offense of the cross. To say that we are sons of God, but that not all men are, starts the fire. To announce that God the Holy Spirit identified the invisible company of the believers with the despised and rejected Savior who was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world for those who were chosen before the foundation of the world is to unchain fury against yourself. The Lord himself warned us in advance of this fact. In the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen, elected you out of the world, therefore, now underline it well, therefore the world hateth you. John 15, 18 and 19. Now this teaching can even be a test to you of your relationship with God. If you take what I say here with calm delight and holy awe, you may be sure that the Holy Spirit is within you, teaching you and drawing you to your Lord. If you find in your heart resentment against what you hear, you can well stop and wonder whether the life of God is within you, whether or not you have really been born of God. Here is the place, then, to give diligence, to make your calling and election sure, as God tells you to do. How often have we heard the testimony of praise to God because the sinner was aware that God had suddenly intervened to save him when he was in the midst of a mad course of folly and unbelief. How many of us are aware of the fact that the movement which aroused us to our sense of need came from without and that we were indeed quickened by God so that we might believe. That is an awareness which he gives us through the word that the Holy Spirit began the work within us and that it was he who came upon us when we were dead in trespasses and sin, making us alive in Christ so that we could look to him and thank him for saving us. It is then that we enter into the grace and glory of the Christian life. One day in San Francisco, a Christian heard the testimony of a young Chinese. Thinking that perhaps he might know missionaries in a certain part of China, the Christian approached the young man after the meeting and asked him where he found Christ. The young man looked up with a smile which had a little astonishment in it and replied, Me no find Christ, Christ find me. And in that word, he was giving evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit had begun the work within him. And we know from the Bible, from the word of God, that that statement was an echo of the fact that we are placed in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
John Newton had the same testimony when in the great storm he suddenly became conscious of the fact that he had just prayed believingly. He went on with the work of pumping and later described his salvation in terms which almost let us see him standing aside watching the Lord do something in him. First surprised, then astonished, then amazed, and finally thanking God for it. When anyone ever asks me when I was saved, I reply that I am saved four times. First, when the Holy Spirit placed me in Christ before the foundation of the world. Second, when the Lord Jesus Christ cried, it is finished. Third, when I was actually made alive by the quickening of the Spirit. And the fourth time, which has not yet occurred, will be when the last vestige of the Adamic nature is gone forever and the image of Christ has become completed within, and which is that salvation which Peter speaks of, the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. During many of the early years of my active Christian experience, I thought that I had been saved at the time when I became aware that I was alive in Christ. But as the Lord increased my knowledge of himself and his word, I realized that I really had been saved for years from the time of my childhood, long before I knew it. There came a time when I began to think maturely. The consciousness of sin awoke within me. The Holy Spirit illuminated the word of God to me, and I entered into the joy of the Lord's salvation. Now I know that the salvation of the Lord had entered into me long, long before then. There may be souls who hear this today who worry because they do not know, they say, they do not know the day or the hour of some experience, and they are confused because they hear others talking about a dated time. Do not allow Satan to destroy your joy and your power because you cannot give the date and the hour of your conversion. If someone says, I was saved on the 14th of August, 1920 or 30 or 40, don't you worry about it. The important thing is not to know the day or the hour of your quickening, but to know now that you are alive forevermore because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. First, in that work before the foundation of the world, then in the fullness of time when Christ died, and finally, in your actual experience. Before we leave this point, let me give a word that may be helpful to missionaries who work in hard places and others who see little fruit of their labors. In the course of my travels, I spent some weeks in a certain mission field in Africa where there were many thousands of believers gathered in scores of well-established churches, all from a background of pagan animism. The missionaries had many wonderful stories to tell of the power of God in the lives of the pastors, the native evangelists, and the wind of God which bloweth where it listeth was blowing a vigorous and steady breeze through the district. Some days later, I came to another field where the work was among Mohammedans. We arrived at sundown and were taken to a little chapel where about 40 nationals and as many missionaries were gathered, the latter coming from outstations a hundred miles around. I was told that of the nationals, about 25 of the group had been saved from pagan tribes and had migrated to the Islamic city after their conversion. Twelve of the Mohammedans present were curious visitors, probably seeking to learn English a little better, and three 
were Mohammedan Christians, true Christians who had been Mohammedans, one a blind beggar, one a cripple, and the third a very poor artisan. After the meeting, the missionaries were gathered with me in the garden of the mission compound. Before I spoke to them, I brought greetings from other missionary friends, and I told them that my fee for coming all the way across the world to talk to them would be the garnering of the best stories and illustrations from their work, which they could tell me. One of the women began to cry, and her husband put his arm across her shoulders to comfort her. And she broke out, I don't care if I do cry. You'll think there's something wrong with us spiritually. You've been to that province and to this and to that mission station, and you've seen them with their hundreds of converts. We simply haven't enough converts to fill the fingers of one hand. What's wrong with us? I answered to the point, a little sharply in order to rivet her attention on what I had to say, that she might have all the comfort possible from the word of God for her heart that was tired with the strain of the battle and that was confused because she had failed to understand the true nature of this phase of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I told her that I had two questions to ask her and that the answers to those questions would answer her problem. I said to her, one, when you've been in heaven 10 million years, will there be anyone there from earth who was not chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? And naturally she replied in the negative. Then came the second question. Will anyone who was thus chosen and baptized into the body of Christ fail to be there? And once more, the answer was no. I let her reflect a moment, and then I added, well, who then will be there? And she answered, why, those that were chosen before the foundation of the world. Quite right, I assured her. And if God in his infinite wisdom has chosen many, many thousands from the pagan tribes and almost none from the entire world of Islam, is it your fault? If you had gone to the pagan tribe, you would have seen your thousands. And if those missionaries had come here, they would have secured these three. God does not require you to win souls. He requires you to be faithful. It is as important that you should be a saver of death unto death, I told this missionary. It is as important that you should be a saver of death unto death in the city of Satan as it is important that those others of whom I have spoken be a saver of life unto life among the former devil worshipers. The body of Christ is the whole invisible church. It was complete in the mind and the heart of God before he ever created an angel or a star. We will shine to his glory as the fullness of Christ, and in heaven the body will not be a mutilated one. We have his word for it. He says in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And you and I are in that body today because... God gave us to Christ, and because the Holy Spirit brought us out, and in that one spirit we were all baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. In the eternal story of our Lord, he left eternity and stepped down into time when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we come now to the second step, includes our identification with Christ in his supernatural birth. The new birth of the Christian is a virgin birth. Another one of the scores of verses within, in front of the name of Christ, is if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. In the light of our last study, we may read this, 
If any man be baptized of the Holy Spirit, he is thereby identified with Christ in the very life of God. He has become a partaker of the divine nature. Now, in order to avoid any misconception, let us plainly state that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity. When he came to the womb of the virgin, he was begotten, not created. We read in James 1, 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. The Lord Jesus Christ was begotten in the womb of a sinful woman. Now, of course, we believe that the Virgin Mary was virtuous and pure from human standpoint, but she was, of course, a member of Adam's race and had the fallen nature of all the human race. Mary cried out in the Magnificat, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior as much as any other child of Adam's race. And though her body still molders in the dust awaiting the resurrection, her spirit is in heaven today only because of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. In the conception and birth of our Lord, and in the new birth of every Christian, there are profound similarities. The mortal flesh of Mary and the carnality of the Adamic nature are alike. The two became nests in which the Holy Spirit, the divine begetter in both instances, planted the divine life. Fetal incorruption was placed within disintegrating corruption. For a moment it may have appeared that life was swallowed up by mortality. Infinite spirit was begotten within a flesh that was overripe beyond maturity. God announces that we shall have the infinite perfect life of Christ coming to dwell within our hearts. One of us might well say, but how can this be seeing that I have no power within me to beget spiritual life? For this was Mary's doubt when she said, how shall this thing be seeing I know not a man? To her, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. To us, the word of God would explain that for the identification of the believer into Christ and his body, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born in you shall be the divine nature and thus shall ye be called the sons of God. So it is that when we read in our text that we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we must comprehend that we are identified with the Lord Jesus Christ in his virgin birth. The spirit who is within us and who now lusteth against the flesh did not come within by the cooperation of the flesh. We now have the mind of Christ, but that mind did not come to us by any cooperation of the carnal mind, which is enmity against God, and that is not nor could be subject to the law of God. We now have a new heart that has been planted within, but it did not come within us through any cooperation of the heart that is deceitful above all things and incurably wicked. We now have a will that desires the will of God, but it did not come within us through any cooperation of the natural man that receiveth not the things of the Spirit, since they are foolishness unto him and unknowable to him. We are what we are 
and we have what we have in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit who identified us, who baptized us into the body of Christ and thus into the birth whereby the holy comes into the unholy, the divine into the human, the powerful into the powerless. We have become sons of God by our identification with the Son of God. Do we not realize that when we were placed in Jesus Christ, we were placed in his whole eternal being and work, and that this of necessity must include our baptism into his death? The whole is greater than any of its parts, and the whole is the sum of all its parts. To be baptized into Christ is more than to be identified just with his death and resurrection. It is to be identified with him eternally, eternally. Herein is the grounds of true holiness. And our Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit shall bless the word to our hearts and use it to thy glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have been joined to Jesus Christ in every phase of his life. This work of salvation on our behalf began before the foundation of the world. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled Eternal Identification. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled Eternal Identification or simply request message number R6-6. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled Your Right to Heaven. Many people believe they have a right to go to heaven based on their good works or moral character. But the Bible teaches us that we are all sinners and deserve eternal condemnation. This free booklet sets forth the gospel declaration that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again to give eternal life to all who trust in Him. You do have a right to heaven based on the person of Jesus Christ and His finished work of salvation. Ask for your free copy of Your Right to Heaven when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Join us again next time 
for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.